Well, good morning. My name is Camille Maddock. I'm the associate pastor here at the church, and we have made it to the last sermon in our Come and See series, and this is the first time I get to preach to you, beloved people. Now, you will notice some differences between Andy and me. I use a manuscript. Andy uses notes. I've had bad eyesight since I was in elementary school, so I wear contacts to see, not just to read up close. But the biggest difference is that I will stand mostly in one place instead of wandering around. Those of you watching online, I will never walk off your screen. But like Andy, I consider myself an individual of prayer. So before we begin, will you please join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we feel your presence moving among us. Open our hearts to hear the message you would have for us this morning. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. Now, because it is the last uh, sermon in the series, I hope that we were obvious enough that you could pick up that all of the Bible stories we've used include the phrase, come and see. In, In week one, we heard the call to step into the unknown, to begin to see what it might come of following Jesus. We heard a very hesitant Nathaniel ask, "What can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip responds, come and see. In our second week, it was the Samaritan woman who was at the well and had this transformative encounter with Jesus, and she runs to tell all the people in her village about it, bidding them, come and see. It's an invitation to share the faithful movement of God and Jesus within your own life. Last week, we heard the psalmist praise the Creator with an invitation to come and see the great works that God is doing in the world and in the people around us, an invitation to see God in creation and in community. But this morning, the invitation to come and see is not given to us. It's not an invitation that we are giving to others. This week, come and see, is an invitation that is given to Jesus. You see, it's the mourners who invite Jesus to come and see where Lazarus is buried. And Jesus is invited to identify with all those who struggle to come and see the painful and difficult and often hidden places in our lives. So we're going to hear this invitation from our Bible passage, but I want you to know the whole story of Lazarus being raised from the dead is about 45 verses long. That's too long to read this morning. And I want to focus primarily on Mary and Martha, so I want to provide some background before reading the sections that are relevant to this morning. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are close friends and followers of Jesus. They often hosted Jesus and the disciples in their home. Mary is the follower who anoints Jesus' feet with costly perfume. Martha is the, the one who complains to Jesus when her sister is not helping her serve and care. The whole family, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, they're special to Jesus. They're close beloved friends. John is very clear. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. 
And our story begins with Lazarus taking ill. Now, we don't know what his illness was, but it's serious enough that the sisters try and get word to Jesus. And it takes a while for the news of the illness to travel. And yet, when Jesus hears, he does not respond or hurry back. In fact, he waits two days before finally telling his disciples that it's time to return. He tells his disciples that he knows that Lazarus is already dead and that he's going there to wake him up. And when Jesus eventually arrives in Bethany, Lazarus is not only dead, but he has been in the tomb for four days already. And Mary and Martha are surrounded by a crowd of mourners, mourners as was the custom. And then the news comes to them that Jesus is near. And that's where we'll begin our story at verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had not been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Skipping down a bit, Martha went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the very first Sunday in this series, Andy shared that the call that we receive to come and see is invitational, it's vulnerable, it's authentic. And the same is true when we are the ones that are inviting Jesus into our lives. When we ask Jesus to come and see, we're not just offering up the places that we're the most proud of, our best moments, the times when we are the most loving, most patient, most faithful, most grace-filled. Inviting Jesus into our lives means inviting Jesus into the hidden places of our lives too the places we would rather not show to others, much less the Messiah. You see, Mary and Martha had a real and deep personal connection to Jesus, one that allowed them to be invitational and vulnerable and authentic. So when they call for Jesus to join their lives, it's not just in the good moments. It's in the midst of their pain and their grief and their dark times. Now, we know that Martha and Mary were two very different sisters. The story about them fighting over what to do when hosting Jesus in their homes tells us this. 
Mary sits and listens. Martha serves and works. And their responses to their brother's death are strikingly different too. You see, Martha, who I think likely always speaks her mind, runs to meet Jesus the moment she hears that he's near. She clearly has something to say to him, a response that she once shared uh, based on how she has perceived or felt his absence. She runs to where Jesus is, and the first thing she says to him is, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we don't know the tone which with this statement is shared, but we can imagine Martha runs to Jesus. She doesn't wait. She doesn't stop and kneel before him. She doesn't rush into his arms. She stands in front of him, and she makes this statement. So it's not hard to read the statement with a tone of anger and hurt and accusations at what did not happen. It's not hard to imagine that that statement could be very well a rebuke of Jesus to hear it as a lament. Why weren't you here? You could have stopped this from happening. And then there's Mary. Her response is different. Mary doesn't go running to Jesus when Martha does. She sits. She waits in her grief. She only rises when Martha returns and says that Jesus is asking for her. And when she finally gets to Jesus, she falls at his feet and says the same thing as Martha. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the same statement, but it feels different. You can hear the pain in her voice, a pain and grief that's so difficult to bear that she simply falls to the ground in front of Jesus. Now, Jesus is moved in spirit and deeply troubled by this, and he asks where Lazarus has been laid. And the response of the sisters and the crowd is, come and see. Now, if you remember one thing about this story, I hope it is this. Mary and Martha don't hide their feelings from Jesus. Martha doesn't hide hide away her anger. She doesn't try to pretend that she has it all together in the midst of her grief. Mary doesn't try to rejoice in her suffering. She simply cannot. The pain is too much. Now, their responses might make us feel uncomfortable to dare to be so unreserved to Jesus, but they are being invitational and vulnerable and authentic. They are honest and real, and they allow their sincerity to be an invitation to the parts of their lives that we or others would expect them to keep hidden, because Mary and Martha have a deep faith. Deep faith occurs when we can invite Jesus to come and see all that we are, perfection and blemishes. Deep faith is when we can say to Jesus, come and see that which we keep hidden. Continuing on with our story. Once invited to come and see where Lazarus was entombed, Jesus arrives and he is moved to tears. Jesus weeps. He has known that Lazarus was dead for a while. This is not a surprise to him. Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the grave, that this is not where the story ends, and yet... He is moved by the pain, by the anger, 
by the deep and profound grief of those who knew and loved Lazarus like he did. And so Jesus begins to weep. And after weeping, Jesus asks for the stone to be moved away, and Martha is horrified. Her brother has been sealed in the tomb for four days. The stench will be unimaginable. She knows that this is not what the crowd needs to see or smell. She's certain that this is not what Jesus needs to see or smell or have any experience with. It's almost laughable. Here she is, warning the very Son of God that he clearly doesn't understand about how bad what is hidden in the tomb is. It's as if she gets caught up for a moment in the idea that Jesus' sensitivities are the same as hers, as if she thinks that what is hidden away in the tomb is too upsetting, is too disgusting, is too smelly, is too much for the Son of God to be exposed to. You know, my favorite translation of this verse actually comes from the King James Version. Martha warns Jesus, he stinketh. Right? It's so much better. There's so much more power, more horror in Martha exclaiming, He stinketh. And you know, for being honest with ourselves, there are plenty of moments in our lives where we stinketh. We all have hidden places we don't want others to see, our failures, our difficulties, choices we've made that we're ashamed of, or things that we think are too upsetting, too disgusting, too much for others to see and to smell, especially the Son of God. And so we hide them away. We roll a stone in front of them so that the smell doesn't offend. And it's true that there's also moments that the church has made it seem like we need to hide these parts away. Far too often, the church leads us to believe that a faithful life all requires always trusting, always rejoicing, always believing, no matter how bad life is around us. And that sends the unfortunate message that when we experience pain and grief and anger like Mary and Martha did, we shouldn't come to Jesus in the same uh, authenticity and vulnerability that they do. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the Psalms. Last week, Andy preached on Psalm 66. It's a great psalm, praising God and declaring his greatness. But I love the Psalms because they're such an honest and authentic expression of faithful people crying out to their God. Most of those cries are praising and exclaiming the wonders of God, but there are so many other emotions expressed in the Psalms. There's anger and frustration, shame and forgiveness. The Psalms are full of people crying out because they feel estranged from God, because life seems to have been turned upside down, because nothing seems to make sense. But we don't often read those psalms in the church. We very rarely read them in worship. I, maybe sometimes we read laments about needing forgiveness during Lent. But those psalms where the psalmist is angry at God, we never read those in worship. We rarely even talk about them, yet they are a significant part of the book of Psalms. They are part of the very Word of God. 
Psalm 88 it is one of those. It's often called the darkest psalm. Pastors go out of their way not to preach on it. The psalmist uh, cries out to God because everything is going wrong and God is not listening. It's filled with expressions of anger and frustration and genuine pain. And then it's called the darkest psalm because it ends like this. From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Can you imagine walking into worship one morning and hearing this as the morning scripture? Darkness is my only friend. The word of God for the people of God. <laughs> but for a moment, I want you to think about a time when you were struggling when life was not going how you planned, when your heart was filled not just with grief and with pain, but with anger. Maybe you tried to pray and remain faithful, but nothing was improving, nothing was changing. Maybe in that state of being, you came to church, maybe begrudgingly, and suddenly you heard the very word of God express how you feel. You heard that anger and frustration and shame and pain are biblical. Now that would be a worship where the Word of God was powerfully connected to your being. These emotions are not what we need to keep hidden from God because they will somehow damage our relationship with Him. God already knows our, and feels our pain and our anger. The reason Jesus begins to weep is such a powerful verse is not because it's his weeping that finally motivates him to action. We know that he was going to raise Lazarus from the grave no matter what. The very idea of Jesus weeping alongside those who mourn is powerful because it shows us that he was experiencing, that he understood the same feelings as the people around him. Jesus weeps is powerful because when faced with Martha's anger and Mary's grief, Jesus never rebukes them. He doesn't condemn them. He's moved by them. Jesus' weeping is powerful because it reminds us that he understands and hears and knows our deepest, most painful and angriest moments. No matter how we try to keep it hidden and sealed away, Jesus is there. Have you seen those places where Jesus has shared in your misery, your grief, your anger? Or are those emotions that you try and hide away? Speaking of hidden and sealed places, you know, once the sisters have shared their honest feelings with Jesus, once they have invited him into those hidden and sealed away place that they have placed their brother, it is there that Jesus begins to do its work. It's then that Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb and has him unbound from the linen graves. 
This is why inviting Jesus to our hidden places is so important. Not because Jesus only comes if he's invited. There is no place that the very presence of God cannot reach. There is nothing in our thoughts or our feelings that we can keep hidden from God. But it's important because inviting Jesus to come and see our hidden places allows for transformation and change to begin. When we invite him to those places, those thoughts, those emotions that we keep hidden, he can shine a light into our darkness. He can bring comfort and healing and transformation. When Lazarus is called from the tomb, he has to be released from the cloth that binds him. This is part of the transformation that Jesus brings. When we invite him to come and see our hidden places, he will help us to remove the things that bind us. Broken relationships, grief and pain, unmet expectations, anger and frustrations, distractions, difficulties. It's also worth noting the role of community in this story. Because the community is part of the transformation here. Throughout their grief, Mary and Martha are surrounded by a community that accepts them. The stone to the hidden place is rolled away with the help of community. The community helps to unbind Lazarus from the grave linens. A beloved community is an important part of this transformation process. So church this week, I invite you to spend some time reflecting. What are your hidden places? What are the things and the thoughts and the emotions that you are trying to bury away? Can you be vulnerable? Can you be vulnerable and let the stone be rolled away from those hidden places? Can you be authentic? Can you bring all that you are before God? Will you invite Jesus to come and see? Amen.